the story of Tamar, prelude. Why are there unpleasant stories included in scripture? And why are the people involved, people who hurt others, even their own family members, being granted the privilege of being included in the Messianic line? It may be simply to show us that God's purpose is accomplished despite man's unrighteousness. In Hebrews 11, there is a long list of Old Testament people who are commended for their faith. And among them are many sinful people who did dreadful things. But because they believed God, their faith was credited to them as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. There are three women named Tamar in scripture. The first Tamar, the beautiful daughter of Absalom, is only mentioned in passing in 2 Samuel 14.27. This Tamar became the mother of Queen Maacah, who married King Rehoboam. The other two Tamars are both tragic figure women who were ruined by the neglect and abuse of close family members. Their stories seem to be included in scripture for the purpose of providing historical and spiritual information about the Messianic line. Episode 21 will focus on the story of Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah. And episode 22 will focus on Tamar, the daughter of David. And the story begins. Tamar and Judah Introduction Judah married a Canaanite woman and they had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. When the boys were older, Ur married a woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man, so the Lord took his life. Judah told his son Onan to marry Tamar, as it was required by law to produce an heir for his brother. Onan didn't want a child that was not his own heir, so whenever he lay with Tamar, he spilt his seed on the ground. The Lord considered this evil, so he took Onan's life as well. Judah sent Tamar to live with her parents until his third son, Shelah, was old enough to marry her. However, Judah really didn't intend to promote the marriage because he was afraid Shelah would also die like his brothers. Some years later, after Judah's wife died, he traveled to the town of Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Tamar learned about his trip and she knew that Shayla had grown up, but no plans had been made for them to marry. So she flipped the script. She changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road and waited for Judah to pass. Judah didn't even realize that she was his own daughter-in-law. He thought she was a prostitute and propositioned her promising her a young goat as payment. 
Tamar then asked Judah to leave his identification seal and walking stick as collateral. Afterwards, she went home, now pregnant with Judah's child. Judah later sent a goat to the prostitute as promised, but she couldn't be found. So he let the matter drop. About three months later, someone told Judah that Tamar, still a widow, had become pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But Tamar sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns this seal and walking stick is the father of my child. And the story begins. Act 1. Judah's sins were great. Judah grew up under the faith of his father Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Abraham forbade Isaac from marrying any Canaanite woman. Isaac forbade Jacob from marrying any Canaanite woman. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew people were warned of the cultural and religious practices of the Canaanites and the danger of such people leading them away from the worship of Yahweh. The Bible specifically stated to the Hebrew people, you shall not intermarry with them, the Canaanites, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Deuteronomy 7, 2 and 3. We know that Judah was headed down the slippery slope of moral compromise towards spiritual apostasy because he not only married a Canaanite, but looked for Canaanite women for his children to marry beginning with Ur when he was of age. Secondly, Ur was already part Hebrew and part Canaanite with a nominally religious father and a pagan worshiping mother. And thirdly, Er was a wicked man. By the time Judah found Tamar as a wife for his firstborn son, Er was so wicked that God had to intervene by killing him because what was at stake was the promise of Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Trubit comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In Tamar's day, women could not just go out and get a job. The success and welfare of a family was dependent upon one's property and offspring. If a woman was widowed with a child from her deceased husband, then she would not only be left without an inheritance, but no one to provide and protect her. The childless widow essentially would be left in a very vulnerable predicament with the only options available being prostitution or death. However, there was a practice known as the leverage marriage law that was endorsed in the Bible. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. 
Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. After Er died, Judah arranged for his second oldest son to marry Tamar, so that the name of Er would continue and so that his property could remain with Tamar and her child. However, every time Onan had sex with Tamar, he would waste the semen on the ground to keep her from becoming pregnant. He also did this because he wanted the rights and inheritance that was entitled to Ur as the firstborn son of Judah. Because of his choices, God had to kill him too, which left Tamar widowed yet again and Judah in the predicament of giving his youngest son to Tamar in marriage when he was of age. However, after losing the two sons that married Tamar, Judah was afraid that his youngest son and only son would suffer the same fate and was not willing to risk having his only remaining son marry her. So he lied to Tamar by assuring her, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. However, Judah was not interested in Tamar's future as a widow, but the welfare of the only son left in his family. Tamar did what her father-in-law suggested, so Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Act 2 Tamar's pursuit of justice was godless. Judah's youngest son was grown now, and there still had been no word from Judah about his promise to his daughter-in-law. At this point, it was obvious to Tamar that Judah had no intention of serving as her protector and provider as any good father-in-law was obligated to do. Judah only wanted to forget that Tamar even existed. So after Judah's wife died and Tamar heard that he was going up to shear sheep, she took off her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Tamar's plan was to look like a prostitute because she knew that the character of her father-in-law was not all that different from his two deceased sons. I believe Tamar knew exactly what she was doing when she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil. Her plan was to receive what Judah promised, an heir for his oldest son and security for herself. Tamar's plan worked out as she had hoped. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? What will you give me 
Tamar asked. Her question was a play on Judah's refusal to give her his youngest son. Because Judah was a man of affluence, he promised to send her a young goat in exchange for sex. And because she already knew that her father-in-law was not a man of his word, she responded, if you give me a pledge until you send it. When Judah asked what would serve as a suitable pledge, she requested his signet, cord, and staff. The seal was hardened clay with a unique impression that identified the owner. Tamar knew that if her plan worked, she would need to provide proof that her father-in-law had intercourse with her. What is even more disturbing about the encounter Judah had with Tamar was that she was believed to be a cult prostitute, which gives us some sense for Judah's religious convictions. To be clear, Tamar is no saint in this story. Tamar used sexual entrapment and a form of incest to receive what she was owed. However, not only do we learn that Judah is a man of his own passions with his marriage to a Canaanite woman and his disregard of the God of his ancestors by seeking out Canaanite women for his sons, but we also learn of his willingness to take advantage of yet another woman for his own personal gratification. The people of Yahweh and the descendants of Adam, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were called to pursue justice, peace, truth, and righteousness. These are four traits that Judah obviously completely lacks. Act 3. God's grace broke through the sins. Things become even more interesting as we learn that Tamar's plan actually worked. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. Tamar was not only pregnant, but pregnant with twins, one of which would become the ancestor of Jesus. That twin was named Perez, which means breaking through. Through Judah and Tamar's scandalous acts, the line of kings that would eventually lead to the birth of David and then Jesus was preserved. Regarding the heart of Judah, if his marriage to a Canaanite woman, the wickedness of his two older sons, his treatment of his twice widowed daughter-in-law, and his taking advantage of his widowed daughter-in-law for his own sexual gratification was not enough, his wickedness shines through his response to his now pregnant daughter-in-law. When it was reported to him that Tamar was pregnant, Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Judah's response was a facade of righteous indignation, and pure hatred for the life of another. Even though he set Tamar up with a son, which he already knew was evil, he ignored her when she was at her weakest and most vulnerable. And after learning of her pregnancy, he was ready to completely rid of her by having her killed.
Only when Judah learns that he is the father does he spare her life. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Tamar uses a Hebrew word that is very important in the story that means to discern, realize, or to recognize. It is as if Tamar is telling Judah to look at his own sin and see that he too deserves to be burned. Then Judah identified, recognized, discerned them and said, she is more righteous than I. In other words, the one who had the legal right to punish Tamar for her sin, even thought he was guilty too, pronounced her righteous in spite of her sins. When Tamar was about to be punished because she carried the messianic seed within her, she was saved. At this moment of confrontation, Judah was able to see his sin for what it was. We are told he did not know her again. This concluding sentence clues us into the fact that something changed with Judah in that moment as well. When we come to Genesis 44, we learn of an older Judah who was not interested in his one self-gratification, his own life, or his own prosperity, but the lives of others. Act 4 a way for redemption. On the day Judah's two sons were due to be born, they not only served to replace the two sons he lost to death, but they also served as a way for redemption. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first, but as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. The name Perez means breaking through. This is how the grace and mercy of God invaded the lives of both Judah and Tamar. It broke through into their hearts and lives in such a way it changed them forever. The grace and mercy of God broke through into Tamar's life with the redemption of what she lost as a widow through the birth of her firstborn. The grace and mercy of God broke through into Judah's life by forcing him to see his heart for what it was and by compelling him to repent and become a new man. But more profoundly, through the ugliness of sin and the actions of both Judah and Tamar, God brought forth a son out of the darkness who was the ancestor of Jesus and who would one day light up the darkness, one who would be the perfect lamb of God and the perfect lion of Judah. Out of Perez 
would come Boaz, and out of Boaz would come King David, and out of David would come Jesus. However, through Jesus would come the blessing promised for the nations. Into the darkness of a sin-cursed world was born a Savior. Luke 2, 10 and 11. The End